0: Should know their rights. Their current repression is usually unconstitutional and unlawful. The police certainly is exercising unlawful conduct.
1: I tell people don't stop speaking out, don't stop opposing genocide. Um, You are on the right side of history, even though it doesn't feel that way oftentimes.
2: From Ashabaka, the Palestinian Policy Network. I am Yara Hawari, and this is Rethinking Palestine. On October 7th, 2023, Hamas's military wing, the Qassam Brigade, launched a guerrilla operation beyond the Israeli military fences that encircle Gaza, killing an estimated 1,400 Israelis. Since then, the Israeli regime has embarked on a renewed bombardment campaign and has intensified the siege of Gaza, as well as increasing repression in the West Bank and across colonized Palestine. At the time of recording, the Gaza Strip was still under Israeli regime bombardment. The number of Palestinians killed are over 5,000, with at least 2,000 of them children, and the number is still climbing. Many people are still missing, trapped under the rubble of their own homes. This is an ongoing genocide of Palestinians in Gaza. Meanwhile, hundreds of thousands of people around the world have hit the streets in their hometowns, declaring solidarity with the Palestinian people. Organizations and groups have also put out statements condemning the Israeli regime, not only for its most recent onslaught, but also for its decades-long colonial occupation of Palestine. Yet this widespread international solidarity has been facing repression and an Orwellian crackdown from governments and various different actors. Joining me to discuss what this repression looks like and how we can challenge it are two guests. Firstly, Leila Kasseman, the Monitor Project Manager for the European Legal Support Center. Leila studied international studies at Leiden University in the Netherlands and specialized in the Middle East, focusing on the media discourse surrounding Palestine and Israeli regime disinformation. Leila is also a co-founder of the National Student Coalition for Palestine in the Netherlands. And secondly, Diala Shama, senior staff attorney at the Center for Constitutional Rights, where she works on challenging government and law enforcement abuses perpetrated under the guise of national security in the US and abroad. Prior to joining the Center for Constitutional Rights, she taught and supervised legal clinics at Stanford Law School and CUNY Law School. She also represents and advises social justice and human rights advocates as they face repressions at the hands of the state and private actors, particularly in regards to Palestine. Thank you to both of you for joining me on this episode of Rethinking Palestine. Let's start off with an overview of what we have been seeing in the way of repression of Palestinian solidarity activism. Leila, perhaps we can begin with you. What has this looked like in Europe? The kind
0: of repression we're currently seeing in Europe is the manifestation of its decades-long attempt to connect the Palestinian identity and experience to terrorism and and anti-Semitism. Although the right to protest is considered an important right in Europe and demonstrations are an indicator of a healthy democratic system, uh, several countries such as Germany, France and Austria are violating that right by banning pro-Palestine demonstrations. In Germany, not only are protests being banned, but activists are also being harassed by the police for wearing a kofiye or holding a Palestinian flag. It is also turning into, into surveillance. Um, we have also witnessed police violence and and arrests for showing solidarity with Palestine. In Berlin alone, actually, we have counted 600 detentions since the 11th to the 20th of October. It has been the worst in Berlin, uh, where, for example, the Berlin Senate for Education, Youth, and Families sent a letter to all Berlin school authorities and supervisors asking to ban coffees uh, in schools, among other things. But these other things are any demonstrations Demonstration of activities or expressions of opinion and uh, and support of uh, Palestine. So wearing relevant clothing, um, having uh, stickers with texts like Free free Palestine, uh, wearing the map of Palestine on a necklace, using expressions such as Free Palestine, they have not only been asked to ban such activities at sc- uh, on school premises, but also to notify the police when that happens, which even includes uh, primary schools. In one primary school, um, the school director is actually suspended uh, for not complying with this ban. Uh, even in France, which is considered the place for protests, the French have also uh, banned protests in cities like Paris, uh, Paris and Toulouse. Uh, people have not sticked to these demonstration bans. They still went on the street, not only in France, uh, but also in Germany, which has caused a lot of uh, upheaval in the media, as well as uh, a lot of police brutality, which were trying to break up these demonstrations. Other forms of repression also include smear campaigns, online deplatforming, refusal, uh, withdrawal of use of venues, cancellations of events, disinvitations, Threat of legal action. Some people have been fined uh, for having a Palestine flag or uh, umbrella with the kofi on it. And of course, there's also loss of employment or suspensions from positions from political parties or municipalities, etc., for expressing uh, solidarity with Palestine. The current racist arguments used to justify the repression is not surprising, considering the rise of uh, far-right parties uh, in Europe, which have consistently dehumanized migrants, refugees and Muslims in European foreign and internal politics. But the attack on Palestinians is currently very, very visible.
2: Diana, what has this looked like in the US?
1: In the US, we've seen a range of incidents of repression everything from state repression to private repression. Um, so on the state side, we're seeing law enforcement, including the FBI, um, approach people for questioning, so-called voluntary interviews. Um, the incidents that I've heard of are all Palestinians, including people who you know, might have immigration concerns or where they're leveraging their immigration status to try to get them to speak with them. Um, we've also seen local police departments circulate um, notices indicating that they're going to be doing special uh, monitoring or surveillance of pro-Palestine protests. Um, we, of course, saw this from the highest levels of government. Biden, in his speech, said that he was instructing law enforcement to, you know, monitor the situation closely, and he was referring to people who were speaking out um, about Palestine. I mean, that's how we all understood those remarks. We've also had, you know, here in New York City, the mayor essentially equate uh, protesters who were marching and speaking out in support of Palestinian rights with support for terrorism. Uh, we've seen that across the board, um, different elected officials, you know, across city, state, um, and and federal electeds too. So it's really concerning um, when you have this kind of huge power imbalance, you have members of Congress and elected officials talking about student groups, um, naming individual students, citing student organization statements. Um, That feels really unprecedented. And then there's a private repression. Um, We've uh, seen this really um, kind of at frightening levels. Uh, There have been campaigns to target and shut down events. Um, This weekend, we were all supposed to be gathering at the conference conference put on and hosted by the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights. Um, but the Hilton Hotel um, received so many threats that they ended up canceling the event. Uh, we've also seen a surge in hate crimes. Of course, everybody's heard at this point of Wadia, um, the 60-year-old in Chicago, who was uh, stabbed to death 23 times um, because he's Palestinian. And then we've also seen, and this is what I think we're seeing, a lot of coverage of Um, is the sort of professional consequences. We're seeing the doxing, um, which means the posting of information, um, private information, uh, identifying information of people who are speaking out um, in support of Palestinian rights or who are speaking out against the genocide, against the Palestinians in Gaza, suffering a range of professional consequences, getting fired from their jobs, We've seen that happen at academic institutions, at hospitals. I've been in touch with a therapist who's been fired because they, you know, posted something on their social media, um, and that's, you know, really uh, happening at a scale that we don't even kind of fully grasp yet. Um, I think it's happening across the country. Another example of the doxing is uh, we've seen. These Israel aligned organizations pay for trucks to project the faces and names of students on campuses that have signed statements, um, you know, condemning Israeli uh, atrocities in Gaza. Uh, So these are acts of intimidation. They're intended to have, um, you know, mental health consequences as well as professional consequences. And these same organizations as well as individuals are. Emailing, um, calling employers, and demanding that they um, that their employees face consequences as a result of their you know speech in support of Palestinian life and rights. This is all. I mean, the scale of this is still to be seen, but we've noticed that some of the, the most of the targets of a lot of this kind of private doxing and targeting and private repression. Are not only Palestinians and Arabs and Muslims, but, um, people of color. Um, the most kind of public, uh, example of this is, is, uh, the NYU student, Raina Workman, who uh, is drawn the full, I guess, the full force of, of, of condemnation from the university as well as public officials and newspapers. Um, and I think it's not a coincidence that the, Folks who are standing in solidarity with Palestinians are also from marginalized groups themselves and are facing the brunt of this repression.
2: So there's a lot of people that feel like this kind of repression is unprecedented. Do you think that's the case? And if so, why?
0: No, I don't think it is unprecedented. The repression of the Palestine Solidarity Movement or Palestinian Rights Advocacy did not start with the latest bombardment of Gaza. The ELSE has been monitoring Europe's crackdown on Palestine Solidarity since 2019. The silencing of Palestinian Human Rights Advocacy, which violates the freedom of expression, assembly and association, the three freedoms that are fundamental in opening civic space, uh, does not only is not only violated for Palestinians, but also of anyone expressing solidarity with the Palestinian cause. And it is currently being, I mean, not only currently, but especially now, justified with a racist depiction of Palestinian voices and advocates as terrorist threats and being inherently anti-Semitic. I'd say that by inscribing the other as a barbaric threat and the self as a moral security, the strategy promoted by Europe to counter Palestine solidarity has made Europeans think in the terms of George Orwell's uh, 1984 Newspeak, where the objective of Newspeak was to invent new words and strip undesirable ones from their unorthodox meaning. That is to say, the language used by European media, politicians, and police orders, uh, which which currently justify this repression, or are used to justify this repression, um, is aimed at making a thought diverging from the colonial mainstream narratives literally unthinkable. At the moment, we see... uh, very strong effort of European politicians and uh, media um, to socialize Europeans to think and act on Palestine in a way that echoes the us versus them and civilized versus uncivilized dichotomy of 9-11. However, the mechanisms and tactics used to silence criticism of Israel today are not as visible as imprisonments and murders of dissidents were in the past. Um, So Instead, Israel and Europe practice something that Yasbir power calls the right to maim, meaning the right to permanently damage or disable a people's physical, psychological, and organizational strength. So Israel attempts to disable more Palestinians than it kills, such as in the March of Return, uh, and Europe attempts to damage more civil societies than it shut down. However, what is different now is, uh, is that several European states are actually actively shutting down civil societies and criminalizing solidarity groups such as Samidun, as well as widely used slogans uh, like, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. But what is happening right now is un- might be unprecedented in terms of its criminalization, but at the same time, it is the continuation of a trend that that has been wor- that Europe has been working on five, for five years, such as the implementation of the IHRA definition or antiBds motions, which all now are of course blowing up uh, in the face of uh, the Palestine solidarity movement
1: Well, I think there's a question of like quality and scale i think it's un- it's not unprecedented to the extent that we have seen all of these avenues of repression for a very long time. We've seen, you know, law enforcement target Palestine advocates. We've seen campus suppression of activism. We published a report called the Palestine Exception to Free Speech many, many years ago, documenting this. But I do think that the scale is unprecedented. I know from conversations with Palestine legal Who've been doing and this is the, you know the main organization in the U.S. that that supports you know advocates for Palestinian rights when they face incidents of suppression. They're, they've never seen these kinds of numbers coming in, and I think the way to understand this it's helpful to think of of the sort of architecture of repression over at least a decade. There's been the building of this kind of infrastructure. To repress Palestinian, Palestine speech and advocacy, whether it's through the passing of legislation, whether it's through the development of these kind of theories of, of, of anti-Semitism or support for terrorism, um, whether it's the funding and development of organizations like the Lawfare Project or Sharat Hadin. So that, that's the architecture. And then in a moment like this, it's like you can just flip a switch and activate it all at once. So it's it's the same, it's all of the same features, but at a scale that does really feel um, unprecedented. But these are machines that have become very well-oiled in many ways over a prolonged period of time. And I would say like the only silver lining is because this has been a longer process, this didn't all just start yesterday. We also have institutions and professionals who are able to, jump in in this moment of crisis and, and provide a, a line of defense. And I'm, I'm here referring to organizations like Palestine Legal um, and the huge network of att- attorneys that they've built up. Um, you know, our own organization, CCR, is also able to step in. We are able to meet this moment, um, but there's also a dire need to kind of expand and handle an unprecedented caseload.
2: If you're enjoying this podcast, please visit our website al-shabaka.org where you will find more Palestinian policy analysis and where you can join our mailing list and donate to support our work. So what kind of work have the European Legal Support Centre been involved in in light of this repression?
0: So we are movement lawyers. So we are accountable to Palestinian civil society organisations and the Palestine solidarity movements. Uh, We use the law in a pragmatic way. Uh, So we're aware of its critical aspects, which usually make law an exploitative tool. So we acknowledge that law is used as a tool of oppression, but we also see law as a tool of resistance that that can mobilize people. We have three pillars at the LSC: defend, monitor, and advocacy. Uh, The defend pillar works as a filter between clients and lawyers. So we offer co-counseling and expertise, and also help um, clients to make campaigns um, for cases. We have a we have two approaches to cases. So we have offensive cases, uh, which is holding the which is aimed at holding the actors accountable, um, such as for example uh, the case of Anna Yunus, where an organization in Germany called RIAS, uh, which monitors anti-Semitism, uh, adopted the IHRA uh, and has been monitoring Palestinian activists. They made a secret dossier about Anna, portraying her as anti-Semitic, and she was disinvite- disinvited from several events. Uh, so we sued them for the violation of privacy laws. Then there's also another offensive case, which is the B- BT3P Collective, uh, a lawsuit against the German Bundestag against the anti-BDS mo- motion with lawyer Ahmed Abed. Um, in that regard, we already won dozens of cases which uh, defies the legality of uh, uh, of that motion. Um, and then, of course, there's defensive cases where we deal with the damage made of uh, the repression. Um, I personally work in the monitor sector, uh, where we have collected over 700 incidents of repression in the last three years. And that is excluding the uh, more than 100 incidents that we have collected since October seventh.
2: Diála, you began talking a little bit about the work that you and your organisation have been involved in. Can you expand upon that for us?
1: Just in the past couple of weeks, we've all been in rapid response mode. Um, it's very hard to strike this balance of focusing on repression and making sure that people are protected as they speak out and also not lose the focus on what's happening in, in Gaza and in Palestine. And so I think the first thing I would say is we've been really focused on trying to offer language and analysis as well as um, yeah, legal analysis uh, about what Israel is doing against the Palestinian people in Gaza. We, for example, offered legal analysis that supports what everybody is saying, which is that what Israel is doing is genocide um, against the people in Gaza, but also laying out U.S. complicity. So we don't want to lose sight of really the focus here, which is calls to support Palestinians in Palestine. But at the same time, we have to step up our work To support those who are doing the important advocacy in the U.S. Um, so we've been in rapid response mode, um, representing individuals who've been contacted by the FBI for questioning. Uh, we have been fielding calls from people across the country who are dealing with consequences in their, in their workplace for speaking out against Palestine. I, I know Palestine Legal is really holding a lot of this. Um, and they've been Building out an attorney's network, you know, a lot of employment law experts are needed right now. Um, a lot of uh, advice on how to handle incidents of doxing, both in terms of your personal safety as well as your online reputation. Uh, you know, it's sort of an all hands on deck situation. And it has been really you know, great to see so many people within the legal community reach out and ask how they can support. And so the network is, is growing to meet that need.
2: What kind of advice would you give people and groups who are organising at the moment and who might be feeling apprehensive or fearful in light of all of this?
0: My main advice is not to be intimidated. The allegations and accusations that the media and so on use against the Palestine Solidarity Movement are nothing new. I think we should be confident enough in encountering them. Um, There's also a big defiance achievable through numbers. Um, The demonstration bans in Berlin, although the police uh, really tries their best to uh, prevent any assembly or protest from happening, when there's a lot of numbers, they can't do much. So even though there's a demonstration ban in Germany and there was one in uh, France, people still went on the streets in huge numbers, so huge that the police couldn't do anything. Uh, Of course, they can still be violent. But people stick together and march regardless. And apart from that, uh, I think it is the time to speak up and out more than... Like to speak out against uh, what is happening more than ever before. A lot of people are. It is, I think, also the time to join forces. So to become... To like connect with other people at whether your place of employment or study or elsewhere uh, which share the same passion um, or will to do something about it um, and to organize together. Smear campaigns, for example, which target uh, a person, usually aim to isolate a person from society. It is always easier to attack one person than a group. So there's definitely strength in numbers uh, when it comes to defying the current uh, repression.
1: I think the first thing I'd say is we have to remind ourselves that Although we're seeing this unprecedented repression, we're also seeing an unprecedented amount of solidarity and people speaking out against what's happening to Palestinians in Gaza right now. And we've always said this—you know—the the rise in repression is in direct correlation with the growing movement for Palestinian rights. Concretely, I tell people, don't stop speaking out, don't stop opposing genocide. Um, you are on the right side of history even though it doesn't feel that way oftentimes. Um, I also, you know, tell folks to be cautious. We're all really angry and outraged, um, are experiencing a sense of abandonment. Um, We're all, you know, watching these images um, on our screens of just some of the most horrific scenes, right? Um, It's really hard to, to sort of stay, to... Be our best selves in that moment. Um, it is a moment of rage, of frustration, of sadness. And also that's when we most see lapses in judgment. So I think, I think keeping that in mind as we see rises in repression is really important. We can't, as Palestinians, as advocates for Palestinian rights, afford the luxury of a lapse in judgment. If you're contacted by law enforcement for questioning, know that you don't have to speak with them. So this is my little mini know your rights. Um, make sure you just tell them that your lawyer will call them, take their number and reach out to Palestine Legal or the Center for Constitutional Rights or your uh, local National Lawyers Guild chapter or your local CARE chapter or your local ACLU chapter. There are many resources within the movement to support you in that moment. Um, and that's fine. It's a normal thing to do. In terms of the employment Piece of it. If you're being called into a meeting with your employer or your school administration, try to get a consult before going into that meeting, or don't go in alone. And also document everything. Um, keep uh, running notes, send yourself emails, something with timestamps um, of events as they come in, because all of that will probably be useful down the line. If you're experiencing doxing, um, if you're being harassed online reach out to Palestine Legal and and their network has people who can help with those particular situations. It might also make sense to try to be preemptive and reach out to your employer or your university administration to let them know that that's happening and make sure that they're hearing first from you and not from those who are trying to smear you. And remember, you're not alone Um, speak out about the repression rather than be silent about it. It's actually really helpful to be doing that. I think historically we've gone back and forth on this question of whether we want to be sort of advertising how difficult it is to speak about Palestinian rights, because we don't want to be discouraging folks from doing it. But at this point it's well, well past that point. Everybody knows that this is happening. And I think when you speak out, you also draw support um, and solidarity and also can build organizing. So organizing within your professional network or community. We've seen really inspirational models of artists coming together to support each other. Uh, We've seen people in the medical profession offer up port and finding employment when someone's lost a job. Um, I think that's kind of the level at which we're seeing solidarity and it's a really important way to be building resilience in these moments of heightened you know, targeting
2: and just apart from your your own organizations what legal resources would you suggest for for people navigating uh, this repression in this moment
0: are several know your rights resources available online also on the website of the elsc we listed uh, a lot of legal resources for several different countries so that is accessible to everyone There's also a lot of collectives of lawyers at the moment uh, per country, which are actively helping uh, the Palestine Solidarity Movement. But more than anything, one should yeah know their rights. Um, Their current repression is usually unconstitutional and unlawful. The police certainly is exercising unlawful conduct. In those situations, it's always useful to record the police, to register the officer and unit number, uh, and to scandalize it. One shouldn't experience such repression and then deal with it alone it is very helpful to publicize it once you do that people also reach out to you and that's how you can also get a group that will support you at the moment people really are helping each other and standing in solidarity with each other against this repression that we're seeing so what's really important to remember is that you're not alone uh, you can report to us the ELSC and if any lawyers listening uh, please connect uh, with us and uh, more than anything just know that there's several ways in which you can fight back and that you shouldn't accept any of this repression
1: so definitely check out resources on Palestine Legal's website um, they have a range of, of resources in, including you know things other groups have put out whether it's law enforcement contacts doxing, navigating the university campus uh, setting everything, that sort of thing um, if it specifically regarding uh, state repression, whether it's federal or local law enforcement. There are a range of organizations um, that can support you. So contact Palestine Legal may be able to also refer you. Um, and I mentioned your care office, your local ACLU um, Center for Constitutional Rights, if, if that's the only thing that you remember in that moment. And we can try to find somebody to also refer you. Um, yeah, I mean, th- those are the main legal resources. Uh, but I think also to the point of building up our resilience, these are our, of course all the legal resources that we need in the first line of defense. Um, but I'd also be remiss to not mention um, the importance of kind of taking care of yourself. And I'm not necessarily referring to the sort of self-care mode of that, but remembering to breathe and to remember that you are in community and to reaching out to others within your community, because that is actually the thing that allows us to keep going on. These are really, really difficult times. We're all feeling it. Um, but we don't really have a choice other than kind of continuing to speak out that, We all need to be doing it right now. And the consequences might be dire for us here in the U.S., but they are really, of course, far worse for the people in Gaza as well as all over historic Palestine.
2: I think we'll stop there. But thank you to both of you for this really important information uh, and uplifting episode in light of everything that's going on. Rethinking Palestine is brought to you by Ashabaka, the Palestinian policy network. Ashabaka is the only global independent Palestinian think tank whose mission is to produce critical policy analysis and collectively imagine a new policymaking paradigm for Palestine and Palestinians worldwide. For more information or to donate to support our work, visit al-shabaka.org. And importantly, don't forget to subscribe to Rethinking Palestine wherever you listen to podcasts.